0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: When they're all done with that copy, then they have to sit back, and now they get counted. Every word in their copy... Every letter of the word in that copy, they totaled it all up. And if it didn't match the original, what they copied, their copy was destroyed and they had to start all over again. Now you see what's happening here is that we're having the preservation of not the original, but here's what we are preserving, the content of the accuracy of the original in a copied fashion. So now it begs the question, okay, do we only have one copy of this? Maybe it's going to be worshiped too. Well no we don't have one copy of this and I've given you a chart it's very similar to the chart that you were given on your handout last time we were together and on that chart it says just of the new testament books we have between 6 and 14,000 copies fragments or copies of just the new testament alone different have different numbers on that but it's a humongous amount now stay with me those of you that are going to college or university when you take a course in geography or world history you will study various events that happen in world history. Events that the teacher and the students and most common man will say, yep, that really happened. But we don't have the original of the writing of when it went on. What we have are the copies of those writings. But how many do we have? Look at your chart. We have very, very few, but yet the world will fully accept all of that. Where over here you take the Bible, with all of us who could, if we wanted to, go back and look at what was done and see the voluminous amount of copies And when you look at those copies, you could check, uh uh-oh, is that an error? Is there an error there? Yeah, there may be an error, a spelling here, a spelling there. But you will find no error in this. Watch this now. There's no error in it identifying that God is God, that Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. You'll find no error that the Word of God is some other man-written book. You'll find no error in any of that that says salvation is any different than by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. There's no error in that. We actually have a book that is far more accurate than any book written by any human being over this much time. These different writers, these different civilizations. In fact, one person says, this is a this is living book. It's the living word of God. And if you're real quiet, you could almost hear the heartbeat of God. So this is a very precious book that we have right here. Why do you think so many people have given their lives so that we would have this book today? I hold up a copy of a book, and someday I'd hope to ever get the the original copy of it. But this book has uh, probably given me more encouragement, other than the Bible, to stand strong and last long, no matter how many people come against me because of my faith in God and the Bible. I urge all of you to get a copy of this. It's not an easy read. It is an incredible book that could change your thinking about dealing with suffering for Christ. Fox's Book of Martyrs, written by John Fox. It's not the only one that's out there. There are a lot of others that have done research. But the question is, why would these people be willing to do this if this is just a, a variable religious book? It's not God's mind on paper. It's called the written word. All right, we move to step four, which is now translation. So now you have all these dudes out here, these scribes. They go ahead and they copy all of this stuff out here. But what language are they writing in? Well, that's not not rocket science. They're taking the Old Testament, which the majority of it was written in Hebrew, a little bit in Aramaic. They take the New Testament. It was written in Greek. And so now they're just copying it over there. So they're copying it in the language of the Bible. Now, let me give you one thing for free. During the Bible days of the New Testament, you hear a lot about the New Testament written in Greek. Some of you have heard the phrase Koine Greek. The way I've been taught by my Greek teachers is this, that during those days in the New Testament, when the New Testament was being written, that it was done in Greek, there were two kinds of Greek. One is what we call classical Greek. It's that high Greek that you might hear when you go to a theater or something like that, and just it's a high level of Greek. But the Bible wasn't written in that. It was written in the street language of Greek that the people just normally used, Koine Greek. And the question is, why would it be written in street language Greek rather than high classic Greek? Because if it was in that high classic Greek, not everybody knew that high classic Greek, but they all knew the Koine Greek. And God's idea was not only that you would have a Bible, not only would you have God's mind on paper, but that you would have a Bible you and your language could understand to apply, to proclaim. And boy, did it go everywhere. And so you have that translation of it. So they were translating it from Greek into the various languages. Now here's what's so beautiful, and I I don't have a lot of time, to talk about this. We have men and women sitting right here in our auditorium who have given their life to be a part of a ministry to accurately translate the Bible. Watch this. Not just from Hebrew, a little bit Aramaic, and Greek into English. Yeah, there are some that are doing that out there. They're always making sure that the language of the people, the heart language, is accurate according to the Bible, the Bible speaking into our language. But they've said, there's enough people hitting our language, but what about all those people that are all over the place, people groups that have never had their language even reduced to a written fashion of their own language about trees and birds and all of that, let alone God, So they have gone to learn that language, to be able to understand it, so they can then take the Greek and the Hebrew that's out there and properly take the truth, the accuracy of God's Word, and then do it into the jungle language of the people and not at all um, destroy the message that God wanted them to have. That's called translation. So we say, is the Bible still being translated? The answer is very simple, yes and no. What do I mean by the no part? The no part, we have it in this language, the original languages, okay? It has been translated, so we have it out today. So I have it. So I don't need to have... Is there a part of the Bible that still hasn't been translated? So I could understand it. No, it's all done for my language. But no, it's not all done for other languages. And let me encourage you young people, if you want to really get into a cause, yeah, I, yeah save the ocean, save the whale, do all that you want. But I would much rather passionately encourage you Give your life to go into the world, get dirty for God in these jungles, learn their language accurately, carefully, with help from others for accountability, for the purpose of being able to get the Bible into their language so they can know Christ. You know my heritage is Hawaii. Hawaii was the first territory that the people of the islands had their language reduced, and that they had more Christians there than anywhere else. In fact, do you want do you want to know what the motto is for the state of Hawaii? Because of the influence of Christians who learned the Hawaiian language to translate the Bible into their language and give it to them. By the way, they had the first printing press west of the Mississippi, was in was in L- Alain Luna, which was on, on Maui. The, the, it's called Perpetuated in Righteousness. There were so many Christians. Why? Because they went over there to say, we got to get the Bible into their language. All right. So we call it preservation, translation. Now we get into an interpretation. I can go pretty quickly through this, but now the big question is, okay, I got the language here. Okay, it's now translated into my language. How do I know what it really means? How do I really know that what I'm reading here, it sounds like it's contradicting this verse or that phrase or that writer or the Old Testament or the New Testament, and there looks like there's some contradictions that are in there. And I will give it to you. It appears that there's contradictions in there. Generally, those contradictions are only because we look at the information on a surface, we bring to it our biases and prejudices, so then we come up with a conclusion that seems like it contradicts. But with proper study, you now dig into the contents of the verse, the context in which the contents of the verse is found. You then go into the writing, you compare scripture with scripture, you get into the language, you get into the geography, you get into the history, you get into the culture, and you put all of this together. all of a sudden it was like, "Wow! I could have had a V8. I got this stuff now. But here's the problem. People will read it and borrow this, borrow that, come with their prejudice, make the Bible say what they want it to do. They turn the Bible, instead of it into a tool to build people's lives, they turn it into, into a toy to play with or a weapon to do warfare with and all of that because they haven't taken the time to study. That's why those of you that might be trying to think, well, do I want to be a part of this church? You're listening to me on the radio. I don't know where you're going to church, but you want to go to a church that is Christo, Biblio, Christ centered, Bible centered, and those who are teaching the Word, watch this, not only interpret the Bible, watch this, watch this, but interpret it according to biblical, proper scholarship principles. So that when you're taught the Word, it's not coming a little here, a little there, and a whole lot of an opinion. It's what the Word says. Now, if you look at your notes now, I have given you a long list of interpretation principles. And I would encourage you that you would then rewrite this, bring it into your Bible study. So when you're now reading your little simple devotional or you're reading some little book study that you have for your Bible study, that before you do that, watch what I'm going to do now. Don't take your devotional and put it above the Bible. Don't take your small group Bible study, put it above it. Don't take my sermon and put it above the Bible. What you want to do is flip it around the other way. You want to put the Bible on top of your small group, Bible study, devotional, and even my sermons. Make sure that it's run through the grid of Scripture right here. So take these out and use these so that you could understand Scripture. Look at all those points. I want to show you one other thought here. You'll notice all these little bullet points. I don't have time to teach through them because I haven't gotten to my material yet. And this is all just from a lot of stuff last week. But notice, if you will, fourth point from the bottom of the list on the one, what principles for interpreting the Bible. I'll speak slowly now. The fourth one from the Bible is recognize the historical, geographical, cultural setting of the passage. In other words, figure out when and where and to whom it was spoken so that you understand the context of when it was spoken. Now let me pause there before I go to the next one. Do not buy this thinking. The Bible is not relevant for today. That was great teaching for the times of the people. It is true, what was written was for those people. But by extension, Jesus says, that what was written for them, those principles now will pass all the way to today, to your kids, to your grandkids, to your great-grandkids, to your great-great-great-great-grandkids, unless Jesus comes back or you die. All right, It's to be going all the way down. So I want you to know, while it was written then, I need to understand then, because I'm going to understand the culture in which it was written, but it transcends all of that. Bottom line is, when you come to church here, I'm not going to make the Bible relevant. I'm going to preach it how it really is. I'll do life applications so you understand how to take it into your life. But it is already relevant. It is a living book made for every culture, every generation, and for you and me that's here today. Let's go to the third one from the bottom. Take time before you decide on the exact meaning of the passage. If you're going through it, let it incubate in your mind. Think it through. Pray it through. Slow down. Let the Word of God be used by the Spirit of God to change your mind of the child of God. Second from the bottom, always ask the Lord for understanding. O Lord, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous truths from your book. Lord, help me now. We're going to talk about that in the next point. And then the last one is this, finally review what other biblically sound Bible scholars have said about it. Compare Scripture with Scripture, but then compare what other people have written. Here's step number six. It's called illumination. Illumination. That's kind of an interesting term. What does it mean when you go from translation and interpretation now to illumination? Well, illumination, long phrase is, it's the enlightening or the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help understand and apply the Bible. One writer said this, illumination actually points us to action. So Let me explain it to you this way. My brother is here today, which I love dearly. If you want to know what I'm going to look like at 83, just look at my brother, Okay. <laughs> His sweet wife, you know, she's 16, and ne- next to my wife, and my nephew is here today, and I'm very grateful for them to be here today. And I welcome all of our guests here today, but especially my family. And, um, but don't ask them what kind of a kid I was growing up, all right? I want you to have high respect for me. Let's go back to this. We knew they were coming, so at our house, what we did is Carol says, you got to get those outside lights on. you got to put those lights out. And I said, honey, I have no time for this you know, I'm just, I'm just swamped. She says, please, please, please. And so I thought, okay, I need to put some creds in the bank with Carol. And she hasn't bought my Christmas presents. Okay. So I helped her. I put all these lights out there and, and we don't have a lot. If you've been to our house at night, I mean, it's, you know, you know, bulb here and a bulb there kind of thing, but we kind of put it all out and my sister gave me one of those rotating things that has all these speckle of lights on the house, you know. I love my sister for that because I just plug it in, plug it out, I'm done, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> but I have all that there. But I remember it was now getting dark and it's all set. We're ready to go. And just like, what is it, National Lampoon Christmas Vacation, I bring the family out, you know, Carol, how you got to, oh, we're ready. We're going to do this thing now. And I plug that sucker in. And I have to tell you, I'm so glad we took that effort. It really looks nice for our little modest lighting thing that we did. Now, why am I telling you this story? Because what we did is we took some very dead bulbs, we plugged it into the wall or to the socket where there was power, we flipped the switch, and it illuminated. In other words, all of a sudden, it brought life to those bushes. It brought life to those bulbs and sockets and stuff. so illumination is probably the least taught principle of, of understanding the Bible, but it's probably the most important. Because there are a lot of people that'll go through all this stuff, Revelation, I got all of this. Yes, this is God's word. Okay, you got all of that. But what is it for? The purpose of it is for us to really understand who he is, to have a holy awe of God. At the same time, is to illuminate if he is so holy, then truly how unholy I am. And now I see myself. And then I see that God isn't up there saying, I'm great, you dirty dog, you. It's all about God is great, you are a lost, wicked sinner, but I want you in my forever family. I want to come and live inside of you, the hope of glory. I want you to have an eternal relationship. And so through the Word and through His Spirit, there's this illumination that comes on into our life. I don't have time to be too technical. Does the illumination come before you're saved? Does it come after you're saved? Some will say it'll come before you're saved. I think there's an element of truth on that because I don't think I will really understand the Scripture. I won't understand how lost I am. So the Spirit of God is doing something on this little journey of knowing Him and getting to become a Christian. So there's that seemingly God is doing something. So there's that illumination. Although Scripture also says, I cannot know the things of God when I'm not a Christian. So there's probably the illumination is He illuminates me enough to know that He is God. I'm a sinner. It's not by works. It's only by faith. Trust in Christ. I got that. The rest of it, he says, I'll illuminate that to you when you trust me as Savior. Because when you trust me, you get the Holy Spirit, who is the author of the book, the Bible. All right, remember, we're inspired. So now he now illuminates this truth. So the purpose of it now, and it's a, remember I told you the steps are, some are long steps, some are short. This is very short. I illuminate the word. The purpose of knowing the word is to realize that I need to engage God of who he is, why I'm here and what he wants me to do with my life from the inside out. That moves me to the new truth that you're going to get on the eight steps of God's mind on paper, which is now number seven. And we call that application. All right, application. Now you'll need to turn in your Bibles to James chapter one. It's not in your notes, but the, the, the verses are in there, but not the title. And somehow that got left off. And I think be bad on that one. I didn't give it to you. So to turn to James chapter one. I want to talk about application because I believe this is is so much the key. So while you're finding James, the New Testament, if you don't have a Bible, don't feel badly. I'll give you the verses. They're already on your sheet, so we'll take you through them anyway. But listen carefully. God says, I want to communicate to you, so that's revelation. So to do all of that, he inspires writers to write it down. They write it down, they preserve it, so we have it today. At least the copies of it, we can check it for accuracy and accountability, and they are accurate, they meet the canonicity. With all of that, we got to translate it into the language of the people, so it's translated, so i got it in my language, but I don't know what it means, so I have to follow the principles of interpretation. Now i got it, now I know what that really means, and what it means now for my life. And now i got all of this going on, so it's illuminated in my life, and so I have all of this, I understand it all, so now what do I do with it? Listen very carefully. All the stuff that you've gotten on the first six points, as great as all of that is, if we don't apply it to our life, it's a dead book. Not literally dead, but it's dead to us. So we need to know that God gave this to us so that we would now apply it to our lives so that we can get to our last step, which is we've got we to gotta take this truth so others will hear about it. I'll talk about that in a moment, but right now is the application. And one of the things I've given my life for is that you would be applying God's Word to your life. Now, you've got to listen to what I'm about to say because I don't want to overbalance this. While I am what you might call a life application Bible teacher, I want you to apply it to your life. The greatest danger that I have and the greatest danger you will have is if watch this if you put application above interpretation because then what happens is the application became the doctrine and that's the danger of it so now the only way you could have more accurate application if you understand the proper interpretation of scripture Now, the danger is you can spend your whole life understanding this is what the word means, this is what it means, blah, 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 and you never apply it. Then what you have, and this is a big word for you, you have dead orthodoxy. So they both have to go together, and that's why we put application at the end of this series rather than at the beginning. So let's look here at application, James chapter 1, verse 21 through 27. So let's understand what application is. Application is submitting to Jesus Christ, So you have a relationship with Him through obedience to the Word of God that begins in the mind and the heart of the true believer of Christ. So in other words, I'm going to submit to the Lord. How do I know I'm submitting to Him? Watch this. His way. He's written it. He says, here's here's, here's what you do. Here's how you do it. Here's why you do it. It's all right here. Here's when you do it. It's all in this book. So by yielding to the book, I am now obeying Christ. I'm now applying the book to Christ, to my relationship to Him. Now, when I look at all of that now I I can do it through a lot of sin management you know in the flesh I can do it I'll do I'll do, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do 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 the do, 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 obligation 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 God says no 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 I want you to do it from your heart that you love him with all your heart soul and mind and if you really love him you're going to do what I tell you to do which is to love others and if you really love others what are you going to do you're going to know this book you're going to teach those people until the day you die and so that's application so it comes from the inside out so when I hear application it's by his power for his glory from the inside out on a consistent basis. That's application. So now, if I'm going to apply His Word, it's allowing the living Christ and the written Christ, which is the Bible, to permeate every part, every fiber of my being. My thought, my talk, and my walk. I abide in His Word. His Word abides in me. I become a living epistle, a living letter of Him to other people. So let me give you three ways to do this, and I'm only giving you these three because that's what Scripture says, so you're going to hear what Scripture says about applying the Word. Number one, I must receive God's Word. That's the word receive. I must receive God's Word. In James chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, Receive with meekness, that's humility. In other words, I'm receiving this humbly saying, Lord, I, I want your Word. It's a powerful Word. It's an important Word. I need your Word. I'm desperate for your Word and meekness the implanted word in you. Now that word, receive, is an interesting word. It's a a hospitality word. In Hawaiian, we call it ho'okipa. We had guest rooms in our church for people to come and stay who were missionaries, people passing through, teachers, preachers that we'd invite in. They were called ho'okipa rooms, hospitality rooms. So when I welcome in, when I receive the word, I'm saying, Lord, you are welcome to come in. You are welcome to take over every part of my being right here. I rejoice the fact that you are here. I rejoice that I have time in the Word. I rejoice that I can have a quiet time. I rejoice for my Bible study because I want the entrance of your Word to come into my life. That's what it means to receive the implanted Word of God. Now think about this with me. Scripture often uses our mind and our heart by calling it a garden or soil. The Word is always referred to as a seed. You take that seed and you put it into the soil. The question is, is how come you can take certain the same seed put it in this soil, same kind of seed, put it in another soil, one grows, one doesn't. It's the condition of the soil. Are you with me so far? It's the condition of the heart. Here's something for you preacher boys they are going to be preaching someday. Why is it that you can give a message with all your heart, soul, and mind, you love the people, they know you, you care for them, they hear the same word, yet they walk out, and one says, I was so blessed, I was so convicted, I learned what to do, I love the Lord even more. Wow, this is so much just passionately encouraged me to do something for god same everything the other person goes out and i ain't getting out of him i gotta go find another church is it possible that it's the condition of the soil i'm and if you go to another church i'm not saying you've got a bad heart don't go there okay but i do want you to say could it be i do that and i'll be frank with you you know and i'm not preaching here and i'm in another church and i have to hear somebody else Some of them are home run hitters. I go over there and I say, I'm going to quit preaching. I can never preach again. This guy's just so good. Others, I have to force myself. But my mind says, whatever he is saying, it's coming from a book. And I want to read what he has to say. And Lord, help me get something out of this. book. And it's amazing when you go in, when you cultivate that soil to really receive it. So now here's the question. Okay, Stan, you want me to receive the word. I'm at the application. I believe it's God's word. There are 33,000 Bible verses. You probably don't know that, but there's about 33,000 Bible. Which one? Do I start at Genesis and go through the rest of the book and start doing all of that? I'm going to strongly suggest that the very first part of God's Word that you choose to say, okay, I want to engage in this God who's revealing Himself to me. I want to begin. Where do I begin? Stand. where do I begin? Very simple. Because from Genesis to Revelation, beginning to end, it's all about Jesus Christ, Messiah, God, that He is God. It's about man being lost in God's desire to bring man to himself and that Jesus had to do the work on the cross by dying, paying for sin.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida.